Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to our Devils podcast, the Road to the Draft podcast, as we bring you another edition in our continuing series. Amanda Stein, my usual co-host as we record this is in buffalo for the combine but she'll be back shortly (laughs) and so that voice you hear is one that's familiar to many devils fans not only for the time that he spent on the ice serving this franchise so gloriously but also for the amount of work he does for the franchise in the community and of course on the msg networks and he is the one and only ken danico my pleasure thanks for stepping in uh, awesome my pleasure being with you maddie and i'll do my best to not to upset your podcast because I know the wonderful job Amanda does. She <laughs> I, does. I love her, and I love that she's in Buffalo. That's got to be exciting for her as well. I will say you don't have things. big. You have somewhat small but very fashionable shoes Fashions to fill. And lots of <laughs> shoes to fill. And lots Amanda of loves her shoes. She does. She <laughs> does indeed. We will be joined later on by Bryce Salvador, your partner in the MSG Network's coverage of New Jersey Devils hockey. And we'll talk then, get each of your opinions on what the Devils may do come June 21st with that number one overall pick. But for now, I just want to talk a little bit about what you see happening this summer beyond that exciting time mm-hmm. here for the Devils. Are you expecting a lot of a lot of news to come out of the general manager's office in terms of trades and or <laughs> free agent signings? Well, one thing we've we've learned uh, since Ray's tenure, Ray Shiro, that is the general manager, uh, since he's been here in New Jersey, uh, it keeps things pretty close to the vest, which I think is good. And I'm sure the the wheels are spinning right now on, on what he believes, along with the rest of his staff, uh, and, uh, the areas the Devils need to improve on. I, I do expect uh, some things to happen, whether it's via trade or certainly um, free agent signings along the way. I mean, it seems like a little better – uh, a little better of an unrestricted free agent class this summer than last. But, again, I, I'm a big believer in, in what Ray and certainly Coach Hines and, and everybody uh, has preached here in their philosophy. I really am. I don't just go along with it, but the fact that you're looking for long-term success. You're looking – this league is tough. It's tough to win, and it's tough to even just get in the playoffs. That you have a foundation and, and your core players, and that's usually built within your organization, and sometimes that – takes time and you need patience that you can be a perennial for the most part playoff team because we know once you get to the playoffs uh, you have an opportunity to win it all it's that close maybe more so than ever right more more so than ever so I do think he'll make tweaks no doubt about it it's exciting to have the first overall pick that's going to help I know it's a it's a young player coming in but uh, all indications going to have an impact right away and you mentioned uh, Hughes Caco Caco Hughes and I don't think you can go wrong. They both look like terrific hockey players, and we'll we'll discuss uh, <laughs> later on who I think um, you know, the Devils will take or should take along the way. But it's it's so much more. This is the deep draft and finding those gems. Uh, you know, having Bryce Salvador on later. I mean, he was a sixth rounder, and look at the career he had and the captain in the National Hockey League. Got to be able to find those guys yeah. as well. And found Devils, one in Jesper Bratt. Jesper Bratt and the Devils have. Since Ray's taken over, I've done that. There's there's more um, pieces in the organization that you know that weren't surefire NHLers, guys that uh, uh, from the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth rounds that mm-hmm. can have an impact in the organization. And that makes you deeper. That and I, I think they've done a real good job. Certainly, Ray and his staff from that standpoint, they'll continue that. But do I expect him where he's been pretty successful so far? As the man and general manager of the Jersey Devils is the fact that making trades, uh, using uh, his cap mm-hmm. knowledge as far as other teams that are up against it, there's a lot more uh, different dynamic in thinking of how you're going to acquire players and and loaded with draft picks this year. Maybe use a pick or two if there's a player available and a veteran player that he feels can help the team. So. I would expect some movement, no question about it, but staying with the game plan of, you know, you still have to really have a foundation and build within. We're uh, spending time with Ken Danico. What? You're a man of the people, no question. You're out in the public a lot, representing the Devils in a lot of different events and in a lot of different ways. What do they tell you about this past season and what they think this coming year will be about? Well, I, I just think the fans were, were fantastic last year considering the season 
Uh, the devil's had, and there was a lot of circumstances. We don't need to rehash that injuries and whatnot. And that's not excuses. That's fact. And when you miss Taylor Hall for the time you did and coming off an MVP season and the surprise last year of, or the previous season making the playoffs, because I don't think realistically anybody believed that in the hockey world, and, and I probably didn't either. Uh, they fast-tracked it and then took a step back this year. So I think the team where the Devils organization, that's somewhere in between right now. I mean, I don't know if it was a perfect storm, if they were as good as – uh, the run they had the previous season, but they certainly weren't as bad as the year that transpired. But the work ethic was still there, and the fans were, you know, just talking to them, seeing them pretty passionate and excited about the future, regardless of, of having a down year from the standpoint of what you mentioned, some of the young players we got to see develop that might not have gotten that opportunity. It's all about getting opportunity. doesn't mean every guy that came up from Binghamton or – or, or got a chance that might not have because of injuries last season is going to be an everyday New Jersey devil. But there's going to be a couple of them that mm-hmm. are, and that gave the devil's organization and Ray and his staff an opportunity in, in Coach Hines to see, oh, boy, yeah, this guy's going to be an everyday player. And, and there's more competition. There's more depth. You can see it with the young guys than previous seasons. So that's exciting. I think it was exciting to the fans and the support we got. I, I thought it was terrific. Because you, you hold your breath at times when, you know, maybe by February you're not going to be a playoff mm-hmm. team. But the interest, the excitement, the anticipation of what lies ahead, uh, it seems, is there from, from most of the fans. And, and that's what uh, what I heard during games at the end of the year. They were excited to see young guys, the way they worked, the effort they gave. Uh, yeah, you need skill and talent, and, and everybody knows that. A lot of that was out of the lineup with injuries along the way, sure. Matt. But I think uh, the future's bright, and I think they see that. All right, so let's pull the curtain back a little bit on a TV broadcast. Uh, you and Steve Cangelosi are in the booth together, providing coverage on the MSG Networks. Erica Watker joined the staff this year in her pregame, postgame, intermission host role. Bryce Salvador between the glass at home games and selected road games. So how does this whole broadcast come together can you kind of take us through <laughs> you know arriving at the rink whether you're there for a morning skate but I'm, I'm thinking particularly uh from four o'clock on when you guys get together well I guess it's very similar to what you do Matt along the way as well with Chico I mean and then obviously Chico well, but you have did, so many more broadcast. moving parts so many people that are involved in a broadcast yeah. on the tv side than there are on the radio side yeah well we have a, a great uh, crew obviously led by roland dratch uh, the producer who's been producing devil's games on msg for for so many years yeah uh and and tom eberg the director the and, and larry Gaines and uh all the guys in the truck i mean we'll go through every name but they they just they're pre- I didn't even realize until three, four, five years in, and obviously now doing the color for the past, uh, I don't know, four seasons or whatever it may be now, I lose track of time. But understanding the preparation for them, you know what I mean? And that's why I used to go, why are we meeting at 4 o'clock? That's three hours before game time. <laughs> but it's it's not just for us to get prepared. And, you know, Roland has a uh, hands us out to uh, – our sketch, will you say, or our, yeah. the direction he wants the broadcast to go in. And the he night puts go, out a format, uh, but it lets format. you guys fill in, fill in a lot you know, of blanks. What players do you want to talk about tonight? Or And a lot of times that comes from the previous game, who had a good game, or who to look for in this game because he's going to be an important part of possibly uh, uh, having the team successful on that particular night. Um, but the preparation, so then they have to, the reason we meet it for, they have to get all the video ready and, and, and tapes and things like that so that and during game, the broadcast uh, or pregame, they can have it all prepared. And that's why I understand now why meetings are early. And, you know, I was old school. I said, I, I can just come right in 15 minutes before and talk hockey. I, I know the organization. I know the players. Yeah, you do your homework and behind the scenes. But I, I've learned along the way certainly that, uh, to be more prepared to really, I mean, I've always been a hockey guy and been involved in, you know, watching other games and teams and players because we got to know the other team as well, Matty, sure. a lot. So that a lot of that comes into it because we'll tell them a couple players the night before, well, I want to, uh, or when we get to the meeting, I want to talk about this guy from the other team so that fans have an opportunity. And, that, and it's not always the star player. It's players that 
you know, they don't know much about and going, watch this guy. He, he's a good player, and the Devils are going to have to contain him on that particular night. There's just so many different variables, I think, along the way, and, and Bryce and Eric could get it all started on the pregame and get it set up. And Bryce is a guy that, you know, obviously he's joined the broadcast the last few years. Uh, you know, nowadays you see the way the game's gone is the um, video and diagramming and, and, and everything else. And he's real good at that. He's mm-hmm. getting real good at that. And it's something that and giving the fans a little more insight on a face-off or um, defensive positioning on this play or the penalty kill. And, and Bryce's done a real good job and I think added that, that nice element of, of dissecting certain uh, teams' power plays or mm-hmm. opposition's power plays or penalty kill. And so I guess sir, what I'm saying is there's a lot that goes into it. A That's lot. why we meet early. After the meeting, yeah, we get to relax and eat and have some fun. And but you're just thinking of constantly thinking up till game, leading up to game time. What can I bring as far as uh, discussing this player or something the fans maybe don't quite know about even our, our own mm-hmm. team, yeah, along well, the way, the or an individual player and what he uh, has been working on yeah. in his game and morning skates. And you do all the yeah, same. Yeah, it's kind, it's it's where the homework comes kind, in, where the homework comes in, and. Uh, but we got a great, uh, a great staff as far as MSGU. They're a lot of fun, and you got to have fun. Yep. For me, if you don't have fun uh, calling games, I mean, I, I'm uh, emotionally invested like you. I want the team success. That's all I want. You got to call the game like it is. And obviously, I try to keep it positive because you, but you have to because I've been in those positions. Sometimes <clears throat> I think, you know, the select few fans at times, well, they're playing bad, rip them. Well, there's a way to say you're not playing well than ripping a player because I've been in those shoes. You know what I mean? I understand Mm -hmm. that. It's not from lack of trying. They're making some mistakes. It's a game of mistakes. What they need to improve to get better, you know, uh, and that's kind of what I try to bring. Um, And like I said, along with Bryce, because we've been in those positions where we've played well, played bad, and boy, when we get beat up on the TV every once in a while, but you still got to tell it like it is. I I get that and uh, love it. And we got a great crew and certainly Erica Wachter's come in and uh, there's not a hour in the day. I don't think she has a smile on her face and brings that energy, enthusiasm, and uh, I think she's reached out to the fans. Terrific. So I think she's been a great addition uh, along the way as well. So on that note, we will wrap up this segment, and we will then transition to <laughs> Bryce Salvador, who joins us. Uh, Bryce, a former captain of the Devils, helped get them to the 2012 Stanley Cup. Final. And he was an offensive dynamo. And we'll talk about that. points. <laughs> I, can you believe it? What happened to uh, you defining your role? Yeah, exactly. Isn't that what the playoffs all yeah, about? Yeah, you got <laughs> to step out of your lane once in a while and break the mold. Everything he, went well. He, everything he went terrific playoffs. Well, we will talk to him about that and more as we welcome Bryce Salvador to the Road to the Draft podcast. And it is indeed our pleasure to welcome Bryce Salvador to our podcast. Bryce, of course, played 13 years in the National Hockey League, roughly splitting his time between St. Louis and the New Jersey Devils, uh, retiring as a Devil, a captain of the team that went to the Stanley Cup final in 2012. Bryce, thanks very much for giving us a few moments. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. So this is the Road to the Draft podcast. As the Devils await June 21st, we all await June 21st. Your thought when you saw that the Devils had gotten the first pick, won the lottery, and what do you think it will lead to? A center or a wing? Hughes or <laughs> You're Capo already putting them on the spot. Though. Absolutely, <laughs> right, right to the heat. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's exciting, you know, for the organization, for the fans, for, you know, for the players and, and, and management, just to be able to have an opportunity to pick one of these two players it's just they're both great players and and that's all we've been hearing about lately is who the devil's going to pick and I think it's one of those things and I'm interested to hear your take on it too Dano but I don't think you can go wrong Uh, and and realistically I think it's there's a lot more hype around this question because the Rangers have the number two pick and so you're always going to be critiqued and you know the organization of how these two players are going to match up, and that's just really what it is. If if the team to get the second pick would have been Calgary or Vancouver, I don't think there'd be as much hype on who gets decided here. And and I'm sure you know you want to know what's my opinion. Who should the Devils pick? Um, <laughs> that's and, why you're here. Yeah, and and I think that <laughs> I think it really comes down to instant gratification. 
<laughs> if you if you want results now, I think it's Capo. Obviously, he's been playing against men. You hear everybody talk about it the way he, he uh, his sample set the last couple of years of what he's done. Um, I think he's going to come in and he'll be an impact player immediately. Uh, probably win the Calder Cup next year. Um, but if you have uh, the patience, and uh, I think you know, Hughes is the guy that you'll be looking at of being a somebody that'll have a nice career at that center position which is which is coveted and I think if you're looking um, from the devil's perspective you need center you need a number two center that can come in here and I think Hughes will be able to do that um, will he have a, the immediate results uh, say as Kappa will uh, it, that's hard to say because he, you know he has to make that step he has to play against men he got a little taste of that at the Worlds um, and so it's it's tougher to say right now what is he going to be able to do but um you can't find centermen and so when you have an opportunity to draft a center um i think you you know you have to lean that way because i think you can always get wingers on the market but no one's trading a, a number one or number two centerman no. anytime soon yeah uh, you know for a moment there i thought you were going to play it well and just stay on the fence but, <laughs> you, but you moved off which is yeah, a good hey, thing yeah you know it's it's one of those things like i said it, you're not going to go wrong. I think the fans will tell you if you're wrong, uh, especially with this situation. But um, I think you have to go with the center. I really do. I think you, maybe it's an interesting twist to throw into this is, can he be Elias Pedersen, you know, experiment? Maybe if, you know, if you think maybe Capo can play center, then maybe, you know, maybe you might take him. Because I think the Devils need a center. Um, that's my opinion yeah, on straight it. Straight down the middle. Right down the middle and, and build from there. Well, I, I agree with Bryce on the, the hype, the excitement. I mean, we were all doing cartwheels, obviously, when the draft lottery uh, uh, came about and, and the Devils were, were picking number one, so we we're all pretty excited. And, and as Bryce said, I echo his sentiments. It's, it's great for the fans. I mean, there's already you know, this great anticipation going into the draft coming up in June, so late June here. And I think that, uh, you know, the uh, – the way it's been played on social media and Hughes versus Kako and everybody else, uh, you know, all the fans get an opportunity to, to really be engaged as far as you, you see it. And I read all the comments and, oh, you got to go with Hughes. You go, oh, no, Kako, he's <laughs> been outstanding. And, and we look at what was just played the world championships. I was able to watch a lot of the world championships. Y you can't go by one tournament, one game. I mean, Ray Shiro and his staff uh, – that's why they're there. They, they, they take a year, sometimes two years uh, on players, and, and they analyze every aspect of their game and their personality and their character. So there's so many other things that go into, uh, obviously, uh, leading up to the draft and, uh, and getting the number one overall pick. Capo came on with a, a bang in the world championships, and, he, and he's won a lot of... Uh, uh, championships already as, mm -hmm. as a young man, and obviously that's enticing. He's big, he's strong, he he's a guy that can can play the game, uh, you know, any way you want it. It seems, and and you, you get that from finish type players uh, for the most part. Having said that, uh, Jack Hughes, just watching him, didn't get a lot of opportunity with Team USA, rightfully so. Out of the gate, you know, you, you, yeah. you get yeah, got to earn it. You're 17 years old, just turning 18 while the tournament's going on. You have to bide your time. There's always a process, no matter what level you're playing at. First time, as Bryce mentioned, to get to play against men. But one thing that stood out to me, when the USA had Dylan Larkin injured and guys, um, their lineup was depleted, and Jack Hughes got his opportunity. And arguably, and it's not arguably for me, Russia was the best team in that tournament. Most talented, most skilled. Yeah, stacked. Uh, they were stacked as far as Ovechkin and mm -hmm. Kuznetsov and Dadnov and you, Kucherov. And you go <laughs> Sergeyev and Vasilevsky. Yeah. And yeah. How they didn't win is uh, amazing. And I watched that game, and in that particular game, the best player on the ice for Team USA was Jack Hughes. So he stepped up when he got the opportunity, yep. had two assists, Real nice ones, by the way, and created the whole game. I mean, and we know every team needs offense. I know Cackle can score as well, and we know what he did early on. But Jack Hughes was dynamic. And when Patrick Kane, who was one of my favorite players to watch on a nightly basis for the last 10 years, 
says, and he's got no horse in the race, that uh, so many people, because of his size, have a tendency to compare him to me because we're both smaller guys. And he goes, Jack Hughes can do things that I can't. That in itself tells me. That says a lot. Patrick tells me. Patrick Kane's got hands you can't buy in the store. (laughs) Patrick Kane is as smart and as intelligent and as creative a player as there is in the National Hockey League. And the puck is on his stick uh, with a string. And when he says that, that uh, rings real loud with me, certainly. So, for me, it's Jack Hughes. There's so, no question yeah. in my mind. It, it's a good problem to have. And sure uh, Paul Castron, the director of amateur scouting, sitting in these same seats in an earlier podcast, referenced the fact that the Rangers will have the number two pick. And he said there is a little more pressure. Great for the rivalry. Oh, it's great it? for the rivalry. One, but he said there is a little more f- pressure, to your point, because if the Devils That's what do, it's about, the pressure. Yeah. Cackle Hughes, Cackle Hughes, they're going to be uh, have the internal rivalry one-on-one because of yeah. the, the rivalry between the – and then the Rangers and Devils and the fans. So – it's great for the area, hockey in this area. I, I, I just think it's going to be so exciting. So it's the road to the draft. You two guys had different roads to your particular drafts, and Dano will get to yours back way back in the day uh, now. Well, you don't remind me. I mean, uh, am I getting that old? I still feel I can play. But the young pup, <laughs> we all do. But the, yeah. <laughs> but the young pup here, relatively, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bryce Salvador, you drafted, what, 94? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you went – Later though, Dana was a first round pick. Did, what were Sixth your, round. Yeah. Okay. What What was your expectations entering that draft year? Well, you know what it was. It was really different back then compared to today. Like there was no social media. There was no nothing. <laughs> you, you had no idea what was going on, what was going to happen, um, and so it was just the thrill to be drafted and to not have any really expectations other than a team saying, hey, we're going to give this kid a chance. We believe in him. We saw something we liked. And uh, growing up in Brandon, Manitoba, where my whole life was just outdoors playing hockey uh, to play in the WHL for the Lethbridge Hurricanes and then, uh, and then you know, have an NHL team select you. It didn't matter what round I went in. Just the fact that a team drafted me and it was an NHL team and it was just surreal. And so I just always remember that. And it was just such a one of those moments where – when when you hear that your name was selected, you're just like wow. And then, but <laughs> I go back. But back then, I didn't know what was the next step. Like you're just you're just playing hockey, right? And maybe that materializes into something. Maybe it doesn't. But it was just uh, everyone remembers their draft day. Who who called you? Who who said hi, Bryce? This is so and so of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And well, I ended up actually talking to my parents, right at first. And so they because. I was actually the first player not to go <laughs> to the draft that was selected, right? So talked to my dad. He gave me a call, and it was just – it was exciting. I was downstairs and uh, at the billet house. Uh, Delos is where I stayed back then uh, in my year when I was 17. And it's just – it's in the basement kind of just pacing, and it was exciting. Yeah, for sure. Yours was a little different, Dano. You got a phone call. And by the way, did you know where Tampa, Florida was when you got drafted? Uh, no. Oh. I, just know, I, just knew, I just knew that Disney World was somewhere around there. <laughs> well, Dano has a similar story because never mind, well, at least you knew something was near where yeah. the, you weren't even sure where the heck this state was located. Well, do we have about an hour? Maybe let's let's shorten it. <laughs> okay, we'll give the Cliff Notes there, version. There was so many uh, uh, things that. Uh, we're exciting about that draft, obviously. 1982, and obviously you're, we're going way back, as, as you mentioned, uh, Matt, in the first year. The Devils were in existence, moving from Colorado to the Rockies and became New Jersey. They didn't even have a team na- name yet when I was being drafted in 82. And, yes, uh, it's been well documented. Uh, I, I get the call, and I said to my mother, where's New Jersey? Yeah, after all the hoopla, <laughs> and, and it didn't matter. I, I would have... Ran the three thousand miles. I just didn't really know. Marshall where Johnson caught. Marshall Johnson called me, and the thing was, back in '82, Bryce says everybody goes to the draft in his year. Well, in '82, agents didn't. Only first rounders went to the draft, and they had to believe you were going to be a first rounder. And my agent at the time obviously didn't think I was going in the first round, and I certainly didn't think I was going in the first round. I knew that. I fired him eventually, though, because <laughs> for not having faith in me. But but realistically and honestly. It's like Bryce, excited, just you know, feeling I'm going to be drafted, but I, I had no idea where, and I, I think I was ranked late second, third round, if I was being realistic. 
So I, I always felt oh, I'm probably going in the third round. That's where I thought I was going to go. And I got a call early morning. Draft was in Montreal. I'm in Edmonton two hours earlier than uh, time difference. And my mother wakes me up. Uh, my late mother now has passed away. And, uh, you know, that's all I told her 50 times a day. I'm playing the National Hockey League. So I believed I was playing in the National Hockey League. I didn't care if I went in the 10th round. I'm playing in the National Hockey League one day because that's all I wanted to do. That's That was it. I know all us young hockey players say this, have the same stories from that standpoint. But I really believed, as you know, my personality, Matt, I was playing. Oh, yeah. There was, there was no other option. No, no. But, but I get a call early, and then I go to my mother. Even though I was confident, on the flip side, I, I was realist. I'm going, I'm not going that high. I told my mother, she goes, Kenny, take this call. You know, no cell phones back then. I go, it's too early. It's a, one of my friends playing a prank. I looked at the time, and she had to wake me up. And I go down there a little groggy, and congratulations, Ken. You've been drafted 18th overall. Dropped the phone. Didn't even ask who. My mother first says, ask who it is. I go, yeah, who is this? New Jersey. Where's New Jersey? And the rest is history. But uh, now I'm a transplant in Jersey. Where's Jersey? <laughs> That's exactly how I did it. Not a word of a lie. And I've uh, told that story many times. But I, I was just uh, beside myself. Uh, I, I couldn't believe uh, the Devils took a shot at me. The rumor was. And, uh, and Burt Marshall, who was the – Marshall Johnson called me in the hockey ops and and I think he was GM at the time, and, and uh, or director, player, person, uh, yeah, or whatever director, it may yeah. be. And Burt Marshall was one of the head scouts that we've told this story. The draft was here in 2012 in New Jersey and gave Burt a big hug. I was so appreciative. Just from the standpoint, he had faith in me because Devils didn't want to take me. They He had to convince them. That's when scouts really had to do their yeah. homework. You didn't have all this technology and – you knew uh, how many times the guy went to the bathroom, what he ate, what he did. They didn't know a whole lot. It was all the eye test. Mm-hmm. And Burt Marshall drove around in a Winnebago for about two weeks, he told me, and we laughed about it. All these years later when the draft was here and I saw him here uh, following me, and he says, I'm telling you, you got to take this kid. He's going to play they play 10 years for you, he mm-hmm. said, something along those lines. And they kept saying, he's not ranked there. We don't know a whole lot about him. And so he, they stick their neck out on the line for you, yeah. you know, because it's a difference oh, of, yeah. of costing you a job. For sure. And certainly uh, I said, thank you, Bert. You know, it doesn't even at my old ripe age of in the 50s now, I I really appreciate it. He says, Kenny, are you kidding me? I'm still scouting because of that pick because <laughs> yeah. you played 20 years. But right. they had to really go out on a limb for you if they believed in a player. Where nowadays, yeah. right, Bryce, it's well, so – it, it, it's There's so much information so much information they just didn't have all that information on you at the time but uh, he believed in me and i was very grateful uh, but even with all that information you still need people to go to bat for you they need to be in your corner they need to vouch for you they need to believe in you because there's a lot of players everyone's got great talent right everyone can see everybody now play they can watch all the games the highlights and so what's intangible by the way it is a true story the following season I fired my agent. My pride. <laughs> yeah. Even though I didn't think I was going to the first round. He didn't want to ex- uh, spend the money on flying me to Montreal to draft because he didn't think I was going there. He had five other first rounders in the draft. And, uh, you know, I, I, didn't I moved flip the on. Bill. I said, that's, well, it doesn't, it. it doesn't matter if I think I'm going in the first round, which I didn't. You gotta believe in me. Exactly. <laughs> I gotta have a guy on my side. <laughs> so is there somebody in Tampa Bay on your side or no? Because if you look at your history, there's not a Tampa Bay reference other than being drafted. <clears throat> uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I've told this story, and it's they basically after two years told me to go to school. It just <laughs> the NHL was not going to work out. Um, and you know what? I look back at that, and I think that it was a defining moment for me. Um, when you're drafted by an expansion team, you, they don't bring you to camp, and then after two years, you think you're good. You were drafted. Um, and then they basically say, kid, you know, we're not going to sign you. We're not keeping your rights. You're 19 years old. Make sure you get your education, basically. And, and at that point in my career, it's kind of one of those things where you, you, it's a gut check. Um, luckily, I, you know, was, you know, I, I played a lot of, you know, I put a lot of onus on being a good student. Uh, I was this classic player of the WHL. Uh, when I was 19, so I was thinking, well, okay, I will go to school. Mm-hmm. I, you know, what school should I go to? And, but when you believe in yourself as well, um, and that I really loved playing hockey, and so I still had one more year 
to as an overage in the WHL. I knew the team was going to be good. So they said, hey, I got nothing to lose. Play, have a good year, and just enjoy it. And part of me was like, prove them wrong. And next thing you know it, it was February, St. Louis Blues signed me. Um, and you look back at it, and you're just kind of like, had I not had that obstacle, right, I don't think I would have been the player. I wouldn't have been a good enough player or at least had the mindset to realize that I needed to change my game in order to, to make it to the NHL. And and even after that, signed by St. Louis, <clears throat> same thing. I go down to the minors, and we're in Worcester, too, not too far away from here. And I was like, wow, like I just gave up all my school money because once you sign as a pro, all the money that you that you are, are going to be given, and when you're playing the juniors, you you know back then I don't know if it's changed, but you basically forfeit that. Mm-hmm. So I go down to Worcester first year. Uh, they're sharing that franchise, uh, the Worcester Ice Cats, with the San Jose Sharks. So there's two teams there. First part of the season, like I'm barely playing. You know I don't know what's going on. They're trying to figure out the two organizations, and I'm and I'm really thinking, holy cow! Like I just now, what am I going to do? Same thing, gut check. Uh, you know, you ask the coaches, ask the team, like, what do I got to do? And uh, and then fast forward three years to your point, we're talking about Dano. It's just Bob Plager, you know, icon there in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. He believed in me. He watched me for three years. I was the first guy on the ice for practice, last guy off the ice. You know, the way I worked, and he's like, I knew that if you got a chance in the National Hockey League, you'd be there for a long time based on what I saw you do for three years. You can say, I always tell people, you get to a certain point in your career where everyone's as good as you. The majority of the people are, are, are as good as you. There's always going to be that elite talent. Or they're going to be the best in the world, right? But are you going to pay the price? Are you going to be the one that's going to last, outwork those other guys? And, um, and he believed in me. And so I owe that, you know, my career, you know, to Bob Plager in, in terms of just, you know, he said I'd be up in the stands when nobody was watching and, and <laughs> looking at what are we getting? What are those intangibles? D- do you think he saw a little bit of himself in you? I, you know, that's, I never asked him that. I think um, when, when it comes down to the eye test back then, it's, it's, you look for the, the character. What, what does this kid bring, in my opinion, how does he conduct himself when the game's out of hand, maybe not going the right way? Is he sticking up for teammates? How does he manage his body language on the bench? Um, and and just what do the other players say, say about him? Um, I think those are key things to, that you need to understand. And, um, and, and then when I got my shot, it was, I think, you know, how you, you go into a locker room. Back then, we were talking a little bit before we came on the air, it's just, you were walking into a culture, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I walked in there. You got Al McKinnis, Chris Pronger, Doug Waite was around. Keith Kachuk came in uh, later. Scott Mellenby and you know Pierre Turgeon, and they're like, "Hey, kid, this is how we do it here." <laughs> and you're like, and either you you find how you can add value, and then or or if you're gonna think, "Hey, I'm bigger than the team or bigger than the culture, bigger than identity," you're not gonna last. And I always joke, you know, I, they put my bench right, bes- my my locker right beside Al McInnes, my stall. And I remember s- the the joke was, like, does Bryce speak? I was two <laughs> years, I didn't even say anything. I was like, hi, Mr. McInnes, right? And it's just it was so appreciative. Who would have thought? Now he's in broadcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you always have to have somebody believing in. There's there's no question about that. And then it's up to you and those intangibles of understanding, defining a role that is going to make you successful in national hockey. More importantly help your team win because yeah. you can't do what you did in junior uh, and in, in the pros or all the things that you maybe could have done where you might have brought more offense you might have been a little more dynamic you might have been able to do a lot of everything whereas come to the pros uh, unless you have an elite skill i always bring up scott niedemeyer he can mm-hmm. come right out of junior and because of that great skating ability do exactly what he did in junior in the pros and carry that on as an offensive defenseman if we don't Jack of all trades, master of none. If you come up, you're in and out of the league. But I've always said many times, and Bryce, I'm I'm sure it was the exact same, knowing what is going to make me successful and having somebody guide you and say, and I had that story and Mm -hmm. heard that many times with Lou, and I won't get into it because I know we don't have that much time, but understanding, okay, I've got to understand and settle into a role that – 
I'm the best at or good or, or really good at, we'll not just team. be pretty good at a bunch of things. That's hard to do for a young player because you come up and you're going, but I could do this in junior. Mm-hmm. I could sure. jump in the play. That's I why could... you selected me number one <laughs> or in the first round, right? I mean, you know, but I now you have little, to make an adjustment. But then you realize how good everybody is up here that, no, you have to find something that you're really going to excel at that they go, we need him on that team yeah. because he's a good penalty killer because yeah. he blocks shots because back in our day, like Bryce, because he's tough, does he protect teammates and things like that and really hone in on what is going to make you successful to help the team. There are many things we could touch upon, but we are up against the clock a little bit. But I do want to well, touch upon... you got two broadcasters here. What were you expecting? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but I did want to touch upon being traded to the Devils. Daniel played his entire career here. You're in St. Louis. Pretty good thing going. They make the mm-hmm. playoffs all the time. Devils, of course, at that point, were also a team that were perennial cup contenders. You get traded for Cam Jansen. What was your reaction? I knew I was going to be traded. Why? Well, just because um, Bear Jackman was also coming up. Uh, he won the Calder Cup. Uh, you know, it come down to, you know, dollars. Um, you know, what the Blues offered me, I thought, uh, was, you know, I was really respectful for the offer. Um, but I felt that, you know, I could do better just with my career. I just kind of saw where I was going with the St. Louis Blues that um, it just wasn't going to work out. And so... When you know that, um, and then to hear that I was traded to go to the Devils, I was ecstatic because I knew that the way I played the game would fit well into their system and what they're known for. Just, a, you know, defense first, gritty, keep it simple, you know, and just that type of stingy hockey fit me well. And so, of, and, and then when you get here, um, I just really realized after that that first season or the remainder of that season that yeah like you know this I would not have made New Jersey would not have been a choice as a free agent until I came here to see that you know what it affords you here and just the fan base and just the culture and um, so it was just a it was a blessing you know for me to get traded because that's out of your control mm-hmm. right you have no say at least at least yeah, I didn't have there a were say. No I didn't, trade clauses I, well not in my contract <laughs> right <laughs> so um, but like I said, it it was it was a great fit. It really was, and 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 um, so it, it, you know. And I remember, you know, Lou the first couple of times, you know, you talking to him, and and to your point, Daniel, you brought it up. It's just defining your role, and you know why, you know why he traded for me, and, and why he felt I'd fit well in the, into the organization. You guys have different relationship with Lou than say I would have. Was it intimidating? I mean, you hear, I mean, we know what Lou's persona is like. Yeah. You're coming from the outside. Were, were those conversations intimidating? How did you feel walking into the office? You know what? I, I'm i a pretty – yeah, he's definitely intimidating. The first time you meet him, you hear all the stories. But a lot of the rules and stuff like that, to me, you know, I wasn't one of those guys. I wasn't the guy that said, hey, I need to have my hair down here. Uh, some of those things are just – non-issues for me right I was just more of like I'm a business type of guy come in I just need to know what the routine is I always joke about that and uh, and I as I talk with young kids now I, I just say hey it's RDD routine you know discipline dedication and and once I know that and no different than you know first year of broadcasting trying to understand what everyone's doing um, what's the routine and and because once you understand that and what the parameters are for me anyways you know then it just comes down to you control your own variables and and so for me all all the things that Lou had in place for me were fine because he, I excel in mm-hmm. a, a structured That's environment structure, yeah. and it, probably the polar opposite for me. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it also worked for you too it, that it was like a square <laughs> peg in a round hole for many many years but uh, once we hit the ice Lou and I saw eye to eye because I played hard and that's all he cared about. But yeah, we butted heads quite a bit. And obviously, <laughs> those are well documented too. We'd need a three-hour podcast <laughs> yeah. for that. Uh, along the way, I was a little bit of a rebel, as we all know. <laughs> yeah, for the younger listeners, but, uh, but so that's Google it. So that's <laughs> the older ones. That's know. almost more amazing. The fact that I spent my entire career here. You know, he used to give me the and uh, not so many explicitives. Once in a while, I'm going, damn, I don't know how you come to play at 7.30, but you play hard because he threatened to trade me a few times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I guess last one, and, and maybe I've extended our time too much, 
2012, you captained the team that goes to the Stanley Cup final. Personal highlight for you? Uh, well, I, I was not the captain yet on that team. Oh, that's right. Right, that right, right. right. Yeah. Yep. I'm sorry. Yep, my, um, my bad. Yeah, we had, we had Zach, and yeah, he exactly. was a great captain. But uh, it was a great playoff run for me personally. You became a scorer in the playoffs. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. He stepped outside of his role, but yeah. doesn't that happen in playoffs where yeah. expect Lou, the unexpected? allowed me. <laughs> to step outside my role just for the playoffs that one year. So <laughs> um, it was a great run. It was uh, it was surreal, to, especially in the first round there where we're down three games to two, and then we win the next two games in overtime uh, against Florida. And so after that round, it just kind of started to feel, hey, like something really special here. Uh, Flyers, that round, that series, just, you know, everything aligned. All right, um, and then obviously to beat the Rangers in the fi- in the conference finals, just I know for a lot of fans I run into that that was their Stanley Cup, just to beat <laughs> the Rangers in the fashion that it happened. Uh, Henrique will you know always be a hero here because mm-hmm. of that goal, and then you know to to experience the Stanley Cup finals, right? Obviously we would have loved to have won it. Um, but it kind of I tied into some of the calls we've seen uh, this year in the playoffs. Yeah, you know the we call that Steve Bernier yeah. got mm-hmm. five minute major. Uh, you know I look back at you know that was in my opinion and not that I'm ever a guy that makes excuses like that was a call that I'm surprised to have seen in our era a five minute major in the Stanley Cup Finals and so um, but the experience and take that aside it was it was phenomenal to experience that to go there. Uh, the start of my career, we go to the Western Conference Finals with the Blues. We lose. That was a year that Ray Bork, you know, won in 2000. Yeah, don't and, remind yeah, me. Yeah, I know. I, I don't mean, but it was just. We lost in the finals. Yeah, exactly. so Ray it was, it was, it was you know, to, to have, you know, that type of success. Not to win, but at least to get there in my first or my rookie season and to have some experience here, some success um, was great. But we would like to have won it, but just the experience alone with that group of guys and when no one had us even having that type of success, um, we accomplished a lot. Bryce, thanks very much for your time. It's uh, been brilliant. We could have touched upon your transition to television. You're doing a great job there with the MSG Networks, but when we have two talkative fellas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, how come I didn't get Amanda? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bring it up with her. Was she just <laughs> yeah, well, Amanda will be He's back. doing a great job uh, on the broadcast. No question. She'll be back next time around, of course, as uh, she's away on assignment, as they say in uh-huh. our business as we record this. She's in Buffalo for the comm line. But thanks very much for your time. All right. Thanks, Matt. Daniel. All right, Bryce. <laughs> So we make a transition at this point. Again, we thank Bryce Salvador for joining us. It's time to welcome in our colleagues Amanda Stein and Chris Westcott as they spend some time speaking with Mike Morial of NHL.com. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. This is really exciting. We're in Buffalo for the uh, NHL Scouting Combine. Now, this is my first time around, but I have a feeling you've been to a couple of these. How many have <laughs> you been to? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Um, I've been here, this is my 11th Combine. So the first one, I remember Steven Stamkos running around with Drew Doughty and uh, the crew over in Toronto. The, you know, the evolution of the Combine has been fantastic, Amanda. It's you know, I still remember the scouts telling me the Park Plaza in Toronto, that, where they started in the basement, to have players go into there, uh, you know, in the 80s. Uh, it eventually got to Toronto at Convention Hall in, in the hotel there, where players used to go up and down the elevators to go to their team interviews, uh, which was really interesting. Uh, and then since 2015, we've had the Combine here in Buffalo, and it's been fantastic. The, the players love it. The GMs, the scouts love the facility here at Key Bank Center and the ability to interview these players and they just kind of do the loop, uh, look at their interview sheets and see what they have to do, uh, which interviews they have. So it, it works out fantastic. And of course at Harbor Center is where they do all the testing. So uh, the Harbor Center and Key Bank Center here in Buffalo has worked very well for the, for the NHL Scouting Combine. What do, what do you think about the Harbor Center in general? Just just having that right here in the heart of downtown and a really good hockey market too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've done such a wonderful job here, right, Chris? And with their, uh, the hockey coming here as far as players and the team, obviously the Sabres, and there's so much to do at Harbor Center with uh, the young kids, the young athletes coming in and minor hockey that's being played here. and um, obviously, with the Sabres, they want to build up a little bit of a, 
uh, hockey market here. We know it's football strong and uh, to get the hockey team and, and the fans really motivated. And we all know that uh, Sabres fans are unbelievable fans. <laughs> they, they love their teams. And it's, you know, very often when they play the Maple Leafs or if the Maple Leafs are in town, fans from Toronto come over and they pack this place too. But overall, I like Harbor Center, you know, the testing there. Uh, they've done a fantastic job with it and setting things up and what they need to do. So it's, it's worked out really well. We talk a lot about, you know, you're talking a lot about like the logistics in terms of going up and down elevators versus walking around the rink. But when it comes to the actual um, process of what these kids are going through, has things evolved over the years? Yeah, they have, Amanda. Um, you know, I still remember in the early stages um, as far as interviews, ha first of all, when you, you speak to uh, about the players, mm -hmm. I mean, I remember 10, even 10, 11 years ago, how it was like deer in the headlight type of attitude with these <laughs> players when they would meet with the, the GMs and scouts. And obviously there would be some questions that would kind of fool them. And they always look to these questions they want, you know, and want yeah. to kind of get the kids off their game to see what they're going, how they're going to react to certain situations. But today it seems like they have an answer for, for every type of question, right? Coach they, by because agents. Because agents. Yeah, that's right. is, it too, agents. is it too scripted? Now is it, you have to dig a little bit deeper. I know the Devils now have Amy Kimball. Kimball. And they really go in depth on the psychology of things, but yeah. is it too scripted? Is it too difficult to get those answers that you're looking for now? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think player, like you said, I mean, the agents, mm -hmm. uh, the parents, uh, the guardians, they school these kids as to what might be asked, uh, you know. And, and I know that it sometimes it does sound scripted, but that's why they ask these questions to kind of throw them off their game a little bit. And I think that's what. Um, GMs and scouts get the most out of the combine is the interviewing stage. The testing is one thing, and to answer your previous question too, I mean with medical testing um, uh, and also the physical testing yeah. that these players go through, they do some of it with their teams, whether they're in the Canadian Hockey League, in colleges, uh, minor, minor hockey, uh, high schools, they still go through this kind of testing phase to get accustomed to what they need to do to prepare for the combine. Some don't even have time to prepare at all. If you're in the Memorial Cup or, yeah. the, or the Canadian League or um, uh, if you're playing in some type of tournament that's going a little bit over time, such as a Capo Caco at the World Championships, even Jack Hughes, yeah. um, you know, going at the World Championships and coming here um, to get involved with this. He didn't, didn't really have time to do much of the testing. But, um, you know, for the most part, I think the testing, the medicals, everything is, you know, is put together with the with the player in mind and wanting him to be able to, um, you know, they'll have a good idea of what needs to be done if, if something, you know, if something doesn't show up where a player needs to go to a doctor or something else, then they'll do that. But for the most part, the medicals, the testing is all done first class here and, and, and the interviewing stage is, is equally good because, uh, you know, you get to hear what these players have to say. When they walk around here and you ask them what kind of questions are you asked, and, you know, you always get the same type of responses. Well, maybe they, they told me to sing a song. or um, Are you a fruit or a vegetable? Oh, you're a fruit or a vegetable is a famous one, too. Um, so that it's, always a, it's always a fun time with the interviewing stage. That's what, that's, that's what I think uh, the GMs and scouts get the most out of it. Mike, do you think a player can seal their fate through just this process alone, whether it's moving up on a, on a team's roster or down? No, no, I, I don't think so. I, I, think, I think the combine in general, you know, GM scouts want to get to know the player a little bit more personal, uh, personal and, and, and what he's about, family upbringing, um, some interests that he likes, uh, favorite teams growing up, maybe players uh, he might look to emulate or uh, kind of imitate as he's, when he's on the ice. And, and then as far as the testing goes, I know it's kind of an important thing and, and the players look at it as an important thing. That mm -hmm. They're all competitive, right? They want to get out yeah. there. They want to show that they're capable of doing it. I think what the GMs and scouts want to see as far as the testing goes is, is just the, their push. Uh, they want to see them complete the tests. Even if you can't, you know, do, you know you've heard it before, some players have, str have struggled doing push-ups or yeah. pull-ups. Or, or run to the trash bin <laughs> after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who threw up first? Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and that's happened before. Yeah, well, that's why they have the, the curtain there, right? Yeah, yeah. Have have an nice to be Some yeah. of the sounds yeah. you can hear from the media section, you know that they that's pushed right. it pretty hard. That's right. And it's yeah. also interesting that there's no on-ice element either. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. they've been scouted on the ice so much all throughout the year, but 
there's no touching of the ice. I mean, the ice behind us doesn't exist yeah, right now. Is, right. And a uh, simple answer for that is the fact that, you know, uh, the NHL runs this combine, you know, and they listen to what GMs, scouts, the managers say want. about the, and what it's, it's all what they want, right? So the on-ice element, and as you said, Amanda, they're scouting these players for two-plus years already, so they know what they're all about on the ice. There's nothing on ice here that they can do that they don't know about the player. So here at the Combine, you just want to get to know them personable, uh, personally and, and then you know, watch the fitness test and see what they can do and, and how much they push in that regard. Uh, to, just to go back to the interview process, one thing that I think is underrated, and you talked to Ray Shiro, uh, Amanda, about this, was getting to know other players through certain yeah. players mm. and the ability to ask that player what they think about their teammates in a very intimate setting and maybe get a little bit of the honest truth about a competitive nature or a moment of adversity. Mm -hmm. How important is that for clubs to maybe pre-scout other guys that they're interested in while talking to those players? Yeah, I think it's very important and, and, and it's, it's doing that due diligence, right, Chris? I mean, you always want to see um, what a player has to say about a teammate or even a, a player that they've gone up against. Uh, you know, for instance, the National Team Development Program, you know, has 17 players uh, here at the Combine. That's an insane number of players for, off of one team. So I'm sure as many of those players are going around conducting their interviews, they're being asked about these other players, particularly those that could go in the first round. Mm -hmm. And that we could have as many as seven, eight players from the National Team Devel Development Program going in the first round, including uh, a goaltender in Spencer Knight. So. Um, Yes, I mean, that's an important part of it. Player comes in and, you know, if you're speaking with Jack Hughes and want to know a little bit about Alex Turcotte or Trevor Zegris or Spencer Knight or Matthew Boldy, yeah, you might want to ask, you know, what's the story behind this player? What makes him tick? Why does he thrive and do so well on the ice for that particular team? That's all a part of it, absolutely. Is there anyone who you've talked to over the course of the last few days that's really impressed you? Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are quite a few. I, I hate to, to pinpoint like one or two players. I, I know, you know, speaking with Jack Hughes and, yeah. and, and what he's about and the pressure that's been on this kid for one, you know, two years plus um, and how he goes about his business as far as dealing with the media, you know, dealing with general managers and scouts and he always kind of gives you the time of day, right? Uh, and then he's such a, you know, exceptional hockey player. Um, you know, some of these other players from the United States Hockey, uh, United States Hockey League, you know, I, I was uh, speaking with a player from uh, Muskegon, uh, Igor Asanayev. Um, and that was impressive, by the way. The way impressive. you just rattled yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that name off. Um, a, for, a, forward, um, a forward from Muskegon this year. This is his third uh, year in the United States, in North America. He's from Russia, was born in Russia, played hockey in Russia, and then came to the States because he wanted to learn the game. He wanted to learn the North American game. And he's ranked, he's a projected first-round player uh, in the draft. And I thought the thing that was most impressive about Igor was his English, the way he really, and he told me, he says he went to, to school for two years to learn the wow. English language because not only did he want to become a good hockey player, but he certainly, you know, wanted to know the, 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 the language. He didn't want an interpreter. And there's nothing wrong with having right. interpreters. Some of these players are coming over for Europe. That's the thing that impresses me the most is are these European players that are able to come over, speak the language, um, you know, they have no issues about the surrounding area and where they need to go for dinners, for lunch. And I can, I can remember when I was 18, you know, 19 years old, there was no way I would have been able to do that. But these European players are able to come over and they're not intimidated anymore. Going back to the interviewing, what we were talking about, they're not intimidated by the questioning anymore. Mm -hmm. They know the language. They, they know what they need to say. And, uh, and they're very confident in what they need to do. That shows devotion, too. They, yes. they want to make it to North America, learn the North American game, and they know that learning the language is going to help them learn it faster. Right. And it cuts that gap between coming over from Europe and playing in the NHL, which is their ultimate goal. So it shows great devotion. It does. It does. A lot of character uh, it also shows in these players. And, um, you know, I, as I said, I give them a lot of credit for, for doing that. And obviously, there are some players uh, from Russia, um, uh, Sweden, and Finland that it's difficult with the language barrier. And so they'll bring over inter uh, interpreters uh, to, to come over and help them out. And there's, there's no issue with that. But a lot of them do want to try to do it on their own. And, 
uh, and that makes it a little bit more impressive, right? Amanda, yeah. as you told me before, is there anything that kind of maybe pushes a player and maybe in the GM's eyes they say, geez, you know, that, that was really uh, impressive that he was able to do that. Maybe that's one thing, that, you know, thinking about it that would impress someone. And allows them to stand out in a different way because you are interviewing a lot of hockey players. Right. Um, it all kind of meshes together, I'm sure. So we've talked a lot about the process of what happens at the Combine, but it's so interesting this year in particular because of how deep the draft is. I mean, we've heard that leading up to this draft for months. This is a very deep draft, an exciting time to have lots of picks, which, of course, the New Jersey Devils do. They have 10 throughout the entire uh, draft and that first overall. And Chris and I had been talking, and there's obviously the, the one-two of either Kako or Hughes. But then what happens after that? Does, is that when the dominoes begin to fall when Chicago picks at number three? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I, Chicago has an interesting pick here because they're going to set the tone for, for probably the rest of the draft. I, I do think that, you know, last year you had that sub six foot defenseman, that offensive type defenseman that was prolific, and, and, and a lot of them were taken in the first round, like a Quinn Hughes. Um, uh, Rasmus Dahlin was at the top of, the, of last year's draft. So there were a lot of good defensemen, offensive type defensemen that were taken. I think this year you're seeing more of, it's going to be top heavy forwards. I, I think there's a lot of good centermen in this draft, but there are also maybe eight to ten defensemen that could go in the first round. Bowen Byram is, is, is one defenseman and he could go number three in this draft. Uh, uh, had a fantastic year with the Vancouver Giants in the, in the Western Hockey League. Um, an offensive type guy um, he's only going to get bigger. He has good size right now, and that's what you're trying to do here, right? I mean, it's difficult. You know, you look at Hughes, you look at Kako, you know that these players are most likely going to be NHL ready. They'll go into training camp in September. They'll impress, uh, you know, the management team there, and, and, and I'm sure that they'll impress their teammates too. And I would expect them to play with whichever team does draft them this year. And then that number three hole, I like, I like Bowen Byram. I think he's a player that could potentially play in the NHL next year but I think another year in Vancouver would suit him well and um, you know you look at uh, you know like a Kirby Doc from Saskatoon another sentiment that's outstanding a Dylan Cousins from Lethbridge fast um, yes very, <laughs> very fast. fast and that's the one thing when I watched him Chris uh, very very for his size um, a real fast skater and he could become only the third player from Whitehorse in the Yukon section of Canada to be uh, to, to play in the NHL, um, you know Peyton Krebs from Kootenay, I really a smaller size player, but he was captain of the uh, World U18 team for Canada, did an exceptional job there. And and Kootenay, of course, uh, they no longer have a team. Uh, they moved to right, Winnipeg. Yeah. They'll they'll be in Winnipeg next, starting next season. So. Krebs is a player who is in that range from you know 10 to 15 who could be drafted and um, you know you gotta like players determination great determination like that a team that only won 13 games this year but he captained the team led the team in scoring so I think there are several players in here and then we have a goaltender Spencer Knight he, he could go first round this year you know it's very rare to see goaltenders go in the first round but I think Spencer Knight is a special player he had 32 wins this year for the national team development program to tie a, a single season record and he broke the all-time record over a two-year span for victories at the program. Exceptional keeper, he's been compared to Carey Price. Uh, his demeanor in the net, um, how he goes about his business, and obviously we all know about the goaltending, it's all up here. Yeah. <laughs> it's all mental. Right. Um, if you have that uh, makeup, that good makeup, and Spencer Knight is that type player. GMs are looking at that number three spot, the ones underneath yeah. before they make their final decision. Yeah. And, and they're, in, they're in an interesting spot. You talked about Bowen Byram. They've got a ton of defensive prospects, yeah. right. but a lot of them are right shot, which is also very valuable around the league as well. But when you have a team that has a ton of prospects in the system at one position, does that basically take that position off the board, or is it all about that player that's in that spot at the time? You know what I say to that, Chris, is later rounds, yes. Maybe in the later rounds you kind of look for a positional need. I think early on when you're in the first rounds, and I say first round, it could, some people may look at it differently, maybe one through 15, you always want to try to get best available. At least when I'm doing mock drafts, I'm looking best <laughs> yeah. available. Yeah. You're not looking at, oh, they're stacked here, yeah. and you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So 
Um, in the case of Chicago, if they feel as though Bowen Byram is the third best player of this draft class, you have, you have to draft him. Um, that's the only way I look at it. I do like Doc uh, from Saskatoon. I do like Cousins. Alex Turcotte from the National Team Development Program is an exceptional talent. Um, you know, and there are several others. Uh, Dylan, you know, uh, as I mentioned, Cousins, but Trevor Zegris from the development program too is a player that could go in that three to five to six range. So Cole Caulfield, I mean, here's a player. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned right. him yet. Yeah. We haven't even mentioned At him yet. five yeah. seven, I mean. 72 goals. That's right, that's right. <laughs> and NHL teams don't like ignore the, the size factor anymore. They're just like, yeah. a small player, I don't care. They're yep. skilled. And you see, we were talking about Chicago, Alex Debrinkat. Alex Debrinkat, yeah. <laughs> like, Who you hear those comparisons yeah. for Cole Caulfield as well. But I, I actually want, you know, we've talked a lot about the first round, and just we have you for just a couple more minutes, so I just wanted to talk about that second round. Because, A, the New Jersey Devils have three second-round picks this year. Is this a year where some of these second-round guys, the higher-end second-round guys, could in other years potentially have been first-round picks? Yes. Yeah, I think That's so. That's how deep the, the draft kind of goes? Yeah, uh, you know, after talking to a lot of the general managers and, and scouts here this week, um, that's their thinking behind it is that uh, this, the, the, you know, the skill, the speed of the prospects in this draft class, um, second round players could be first round players in other years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and again, I, you know, I hate to be repetitive, but you go back to the, the national team development program, a kid like... Marshall Warren, a defenseman, he could go second round, could go early third round, real good size. This was a kid that um, he, he grew up as a figure skater, um, and he has that mentality about him. He's a big, strong guy, was, was a top four guy for, for, uh, for the program. Uh, and there are several other European players that could go in that second round that with proper development, and we all know development is yes. needed for those players in those rounds, um, could be special talents in the NHL one day. Do you have some names for us <laughs> who, who should who should devils fans be like oh, those are some interesting prospects in the second round knowing the picks that they yeah, have. yeah you know i do like this left wing uh um from the chicago steel in the united states hockey league uh, his name is robert mastro Zioni. um he's a, a left winger real good speed he told me that uh well a season ago he only had 15 goals and this year he uh elevated his play and now has 31 goals um and i asked him you know, what was the reason for the big turnaround? And he says, you know, a lot more speed, a lot more push in the offensive end, a lot of hard work in the summer um, helped him uh, get there. You know, you look at the European side of, side of things, um, uh, there's a player, um, Samuel Fergemel uh, from Frölunda in the Swedish Hockey League. And we all know Frölunda uh, from where Rasmus Dahlin yep. played uh, as a defenseman. Um, and Sam, you know, was a player that was passed over in the NHL draft last year. Um, and this year, he told me that speed game, he's a lot more quicker in the offensive end. He was disappointed he wasn't drafted last year, but it motivated him a little bit more to maybe look to see to get drafted this year. And that's a player that could go under the radar, but I like his size, I like his finesse and what he's, uh, what he's able to bring to the table. And then if you're looking at a goaltender, you know, Matt's Sogard from Medicine Hat uh, goes about six foot seven. Um, a real good size goalie. We've seen him walking around. Yeah, yeah. He's all of six foot he seven. Towers yeah. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, I, did, I didn't know who he was at the time, and I, I found out. Yeah, he's a big kid. Yeah, a real big kid. And, and a player that size is hard to ignore, particularly if he plays, the, yeah. the, plays the, in that position of goal. So. Um, he played with the Danes at the World Junior Championship, did a nice job there. The Danes were just kind of overmatched by other teams. But this is a goalie. Would he did some nice things with Medicine Hat this year. I think he's going to go far with proper development. So he could be another second, early third round pick. Not many Danish goalies make it, though. Only one, right? <laughs> yeah, only That's one right. so far. All right, so one final one on this Road to the Draft podcast for you because we ask everybody on this podcast, if you're picking first overall, which way do you lean, Hughes or Kako, Mike? I'm going to go Hughes. Okay. Um, I'm going to go Hughes because I just, you know, first of all, he plays the center position. Now, I know that's not important, but just this, I love Jack Hughes, his courageousness. Um, and, by, and I know there are a lot of courageous players in, in the National Hockey League, but Jack Hughes has a, a real good hockey IQ to go along with that, so he knows where to go. He knows to go, if he's going dot lane, he might have a player on the opposite side to throw a puck to. 
Um, the back pass, he's always looking for those players, his teammates, for easy goals, to give them an easy opportunity to score goals. And he's, he worked on the shot. The two things he told me that he worked on most this past season when he scored 112 points um, were his shot and on face-offs. And I think he improved in both those areas. It's not to say Capo Caco is not an exceptional talent, because I'm going to be looking forward to this battle between Caco and Hughes for a long time between the Rangers uh, and Devils. But um, just the fact that, that Jack Hughes is the player he is, that skating, it's unbelievable. I think, personally, I think he's the best skater to come into, um, you know, to enter a draft since Connor McDavid. I really like the edge work that he has. I'm not going to say he's going to be a Connor McDavid, but just his skating, his speed, that type of element, very similar in what Connor McDavid brought to the table there. So I like Jack Hughes as a number one pick. Well, we'll find out where the dominoes land in just a few weeks. So thank you so much for doing this, Mike. We Thanks, really appreciate Mike. it. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank, thank you thank so you. much. Thanks. Dano, I hope we didn't tax you too much and that uh, the vocal cords will be intact for the rest of the season. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. This is great. Can't wait till June 21st. Absolutely. The draft. The, it's going to be exciting for the fans of the whole organization. Devil's pick number one. We thank Bryce Salvador for joining us. Of course, great stories that you each told. Different <laughs> paths to the NHL, but you both got to play in the best league in the world. So thanks to Bryce Salvador. Thanks to Ken Danico. And thanks to you, our listeners. This is the Road to the Draft podcast. We'll see you next time.